Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, disgraced former Southern Baptist Convention president Johnny Hunt has been restored to ministry, but two of the churches that restored him are now being investigated. We also have an exclusive investigation done in conjunction with the Trinity Foundation on pastors and their private jets. We begin today with news from the King's College in New York City. In an email to parents dated February 6th, the King's College announced it was experiencing a funding shortfall of approximately $2.6 million for the spring semester due primarily to the timing of impending income, according to that email. The email came from David Leedy, the college's dean of students. Liddy wrote, this academic year, King's has been caught in the perfect storm of a slow post-COVID-19 recovery, an economic downturn, and rising interest rates that have complicated the sale of our DeVos building. Because of these factors, King's, like many other small colleges and universities, is experiencing a financial strain. DeVos Hall is a residential building purchased by the college in 2018 to provide housing for King's students. The building was named for Richard and Helen DeVos, longtime benefactors and board members of the school. The letter said that if we can sell DeVos Hall, that will free up about $1 million in cash. Also, the college qualifies for a government grant of up to $2.5 million in employee retention credits as part of the broader COVID-19 funding packages. But these funds typically take six months or more to receive. King's is not the only Christian college facing financial struggles. Changing demographics, COVID, evolving technologies that make distance learning more attractive for some students, and changing public perceptions about the value and high cost of a college education have reached what some are calling an inflection point in higher education. In 2020, Moody's Investment Service downgraded the entire higher education sector of the economy from stable to negative. Moody's analysts said that nearly a third of America's public and private universities are already operating at a deficit. Ministry Watch has reported on the closure of a number of Christian colleges over the past few years. We have a Nebraska Christian College, for example, shut down in 2020. Also in 2020, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary announced that it would no longer be offering doctoral degrees in biblical archaeology, which heretofore had been a core part of that program. Cincinnati Christian University announced that it had closed its academic program in 2019. Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen said that as many as half of all universities will close or go bankrupt in the next decade. Well, the Great Recession of more than a decade ago also drove a significant drop in the U.S. birth rate that has continued to today. 
Nathan Grawl popularized the term birth dearth in his 2017 book, Demographics and the Demand for Higher Education. He believes the number of students graduating from high school in New England will be 24% lower in 2029 than it was in 2012. Our next story is an update on the ongoing saga of Johnny Hunt. Two Southern Baptist churches are now the subject of an inquiry by the denomination's credentials committee into whether they should be removed from friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And this inquiry is the result of them restoring Johnny Hunt to ministry. Uh, The two churches are Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, and New Season Church in Hiram, Georgia. It uh, involves whether they and two other churches had any ability or uh, standing to restore Johnny Hunt to ministry who had been credibly accused of sexual abuse. The credible accusations against Hunt came in light of a Guidepost Solutions report commissioned by the SBC Executive Committee, which was released in May 2022. Along with revelations of systemic failure by the executive committee to properly respond to sexual abuse allegations over the course of two decades, the report also found that Johnny Hunt allegedly sexually assaulted the wife of a pastor he was mentoring toward the end of his term as SBC president in 2010. Investigators found the testimony of the survivor and supporting witnesses to be credible. Hunt, who changed his retelling of the account throughout the course of the investigation, was not found credible. In the wake of this revelation, Hunt resigned his position as vice president for evangelism and leadership of the SBC's North American Mission Board. He also forfeited his title of pastor emeritus at First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, a congregation that he had pastored for three decades. That that church, by the way, is just north of Atlanta. Hunt was later removed from membership at the church, and he now attends Highland Park Baptist Church in Florida, one of the churches under investigation now. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, of which Hunt was a graduate, also removed his name from an academic chair and degree program that was previously titled in his honor. Now, to the understanding of most Southern Baptists, the credible allegations against Hunt should constitute a permanent disqualification from pastoral leadership. That would be in accordance with a resolution passed by the SBC in 2021. Nevertheless, in November of 2022, just six months after allegations against Hunt became public, a team of four pastors, two of whom lead the churches that we've already talked about, declared that Hunt had completed a restoration process and was ready to return to pastoral ministry. The Credentials Committee is set to launch its inquiry into both churches that not only restored Hunt to ministry, but welcomed them to their pulpits. Uh, And they'll make a determination as what the course of action should be by the Executive Committee. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, Ministry Watch's exclusive report on pastors and their private jets. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break.
Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break, it's an exclusive report Ministry Watch did with the Trinity Foundation regarding pastors and their private jets. You know, billionaire Warren Buffett became one of the richest men in the world by knowing what adds value to a corporation and what does not add value. And one of the things that he says does not uh, is a corporate jet. They're a luxury in almost every case, a necessity for only a very few, and he would often rail against private jets in the annual reports of his company, Berkshire Hathaway, and elsewhere. But try telling that to Perry Stone, Bill Winston, Jesse DePlantis, James Robinson, or Kenneth Copeland. They were among the nearly 60 churches and Christian ministries that own private aircraft and use them on a regular basis, 386 times during the month of January alone. Now, for years, the Trinity Foundation, which is based in Dallas, has been tracking the use of private aircraft by ministries and churches. Recently, the Trinity Foundation started posting graphics on Twitter, maps, if you will, to track their daily usage. In fact, you can find that Twitter account by going to at Pastor Plains, and I'll have a link in the show notes to today's show. Now, Ministry Watch and the Trinity Foundation are now working together to make that project better known to the public. We've compiled a list of all the ministries that took a flight in January, more than 40 ministries of the 60 that own aircraft, again, a total of nearly 400 flights in all. Warren, we can't go over the entire list of 400 flights here, but is there something that stands out to you? Yeah, several things jump out at me. And by the way, I would encourage everyone to go read that article and look at the spreadsheet that we posted on the Ministry Watch website. But just a couple of lessons. First, a lot of people say that they use private aircraft because they live where there are no major airports or because they are flying lots of people and it's cheaper to use a private plane than it is to buy 10 or 15 airplane tickets. That's the story, for example, that I got in my reporting about Jesse Duplantis and his usage of airplanes some years ago. However, an examination of these flight records don't support that argument. First, most of the takeoffs and landings are at major airports, and most of the flights we tracked cost in the tens of thousands of dollars, so you could buy a whole lot of first-class plane tickets for that. Secondly, we were not surprised to find many of the prosperity gospel preachers 
had private airplanes. We've been following that for years. We were surprised, though, to learn that Bob Jones University, which is a fundamentalist school in upstate South Carolina, also had a private jet and that the school used that jet often. Anything else you want to say about the list? Well, we left off aircraft that are obviously used for ministry purposes. For example, Samaritan's Purse has a big DC-8 that is strictly a cargo plane, and they use it for transporting their mobile hospital and other heavy equipment to disaster and conflict zones around the world. Uh, We did not track that aircraft, neither did we track the airplanes of missions organizations like Mission Aviation Fellowship or the JARS Center here near Charlotte, North Carolina, who use their aircraft for training here in the United States before they send both planes and pilots overseas to do missionary work. Well, that makes sense. Do you have anything else? Well, I did want to give a shout out to the Trinity Foundation and particularly to Barry Bowen uh, for doing the heavy lifting on compiling this data. Again, I encourage all of our listeners who want to get daily updates to subscribe to the Trinity Foundation's Pastor Plains Twitter feed. And once again, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Well, on Sunday, February 5th, Phil and Lucinda Dooley were announced as the new global senior pastors of Hillsong Church. The couple had stepped into the role on an interim basis following the sabbatical and then subsequent resignation of the church's founding pastor, Brian Houston, back in 2022. Houston, who had pastored the church for nearly four decades, resigned in March of 2022, roughly two months into what was to be a year-long sabbatical, which arose in part because of concerns about Houston's previous conduct with regard to instances of alcohol and prescription drug abuse, as well as inappropriate behavior towards women. Houston is also facing criminal charges for his part in allegedly covering up the child sex abuse of his late father, Pastor Frank Houston. Those court proceedings are ongoing and were cited as the reason for Houston's sabbatical in the original announcement. Well, next up, a Florida pastor arrested for fraud charges in obtaining $8 million in COVID-19 relief funds for the ministry he founded has been determined to be incompetent to stand trial by a psychiatrist. Yeah, this is the latest in the strange story of Aslan International Ministry. Evan Edwards founded Aslan International Ministry in 2005 in Ohio, but then moved it to Florida in 2018. Aslan received about $8.4 million in payroll protection program uh, funds in 2020 after making false claims of having hundreds of employees when in fact it has only a few. The federal government seized over $7.6 million in assets as part of a civil asset for forfeiture preceded by the United States Secret Service for money laundering and bank fraud offenses in September of 2020. 
And the family was caught when they were driving up Interstate 75 in Florida in an apparent getaway attempt with materials such as computers and shredded documents in the vehicle with them, along with a handwritten note detailing that the Department of Homeland Security had frozen their account because of an SBA PPP loan. Though a psychiatrist determined that Edwards was suffering from mental and mental illness, and he was also claiming physical problems as well, his word will not be the final word in this matter. A competency hearing is expected to be held later this month, and prosecutors are expected to make the argument that Edwards is faking both mental and physical illnesses in order to escape the consequences of his actions. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. A Seattle pastor known for helping recovering addicts was arrested in January for possessing and selling fentanyl, cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines. According to the arrest affidavit, he even bragged about it. Steve Parker is the man's name. He's 57 years old, and he admitted to authorities that he was living a double life after the Skagit County Interlocal Drug Enforcement Unit arrested him. Uh, the arrest followed a three-month investigation that included controlled drug deals with undercover cops. Now, when you say he was living a double life, what do you mean? Well, police say that he was not only dealing drugs while purportedly helping people recover from drug addiction, that would be a double life in and of itself, but he also was driving around in expensive cars and had a second home. In one house in Arlington, Washington, he lived with his wife and mother-in-law. Locals knew him as a pastor who enjoyed officiating weddings. He was a beloved grandfather and a helper to those who were down on their luck. Yet just 10 miles away, southwest on the Tulalip Reservation, Parker conducted his criminal behavior and had a girlfriend. Police collected 30 firearms between both of the houses. When police arrested Parker on January the 19th, uh, detectives found the drugs I mentioned earlier, methamphetamine, fentanyl powder, cocaine, over 2,000 counterfeit pills, and a loaded handgun in his car. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? 
When crisis hits anywhere in the world, as it has recently in Turkey and Syria, Christians are often first in line to help, and that's a very good thing. However, there's a reason the Bible tells us to love God, not just with our heart, but also with our mind. At times like these, we should engage both heart and mind, and that's why we've compiled a list of Christian ministries that we've examined here at Ministry Watch. They are ministries that have long histories of helping in disaster zones, especially in Turkey and Syria, and they also have high ratings from us. You can find that list, which we hope will be an aid to your giving during these uh, troubling times on the front page of our website. And who do we have in the ministry spotlight this week? In the ministry spotlight, we have the Association of Christian Schools International, ACSI. They were founded in 1978 to strengthen Christian schools and equip Christian educators with member services. ACSI services include accreditation, teacher certification, lots of student activities, tracking and analysis, and other services. Uh, Ministry Watch gives them a donor confidence score of 67 out of a possible 100, and that means you can give with confidence. Who did Christina spotlight in Ministries Making a Difference? Well, she had several, but I want to mention two. Uh, Water Mission is partnering with UNICEF, uh, which is the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, to author new solar-powered water systems design and installation guides for rural communities. Since its inception in 2001, Water Mission has served more than 7 million people with 2,800 water projects in 57 countries. Water Mission has three stars and an A transparency grade in the Ministry Watch database, and they have a donor confidence score about as high as you can get. It's 100. We also want to feature Legacy Pregnancy Resources Center, which is in Hobbs, New Mexico. Members of the First Baptist Church in Hobbs voted unanimously to donate a building to house this Pregnancy Resource Center. Nearby Taylor Memorial Baptist Church also voted to donate about $50,000 of its budget surplus to renovate the building. It's a great example of churches and a Pregnancy Resource Center working together in a local community. By the way, Legacy was founded about 10 years ago go, and it has had to move at least five times as it has either grown or lost leases in uh, other locations. This will give the center a permanent home. Legacy provides pregnancy tests, baby supplies, classes, and prayer for pregnant women in need of both practical and spiritual support. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I did want uh, our listeners to know that if they give to Ministry Watch during the month of February, we'll send them a copy of a book by Teresa Lynn Sidebotham. That book is called Handling Allegations in a Ministry. Uh, Regular listeners to the podcast know that I had Teresa on the program earlier this week. We had, I think, a robust discussion about what's in the book and about why a book like this is necessary for all ministry leaders. I think it's a valuable resource for pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and anyone who is active and involved in a church, or if you're a donor to any of these kinds of ministries. It's our thank you gift for a donation of any size to Ministry Watch during the month of February. You can just go to the Ministry Watch website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. 
Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Jessica Adralde, Kim Roberts, Bob Smetania, Dale Chamberlain, Christina Darnell, Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. Special thanks to churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. We'd also like to thank Barry Bowen and the Trinity Foundation for working with us on the Pastors and Plains Project. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.